0: Is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm
1: Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in LA. You know, all the plastic and plexiglass barriers everywhere, stores, offices meant to keep people apart, keep us safe. They might be kind of useless.
0: COVID is back in New Zealand and there's no messing around. It's on lockdown again, but this time over just a single case.
1: Washington state's going further than others when it comes to teacher vaccinations.
0: And the school district here in L.A. that may be going even further requiring students to be vaccinated.
1: We start, though, with the plastic barriers. William Bonfleth is professor of architectural engineering at Penn State. Uh, Professor, is the plastic barrier really useful? We see them everywhere. And if they are useful, useful for what?
2: I think uh, if it's helpful at all, it's if you would happen to be, say, within three feet of each other and and one of you uh, is infected and it may stop some large droplets that would uh, be able to cover the distance between you like projectiles yeah that's the high end of the size range though and and not really uh, what we mean when we're talking about uh, aerosols and airborne transmission
1: yeah so talk to us a little bit about what you did find because what you just said you know it protects against the big stuff and we think okay let's put in the perspective salad bar right this is why those are there in case i sneeze or cough on the salad the rest of the people behind me are going to be okay. But when we're dealing with COVID and we have these all over the place and we do have aerosolized droplets, real tiny stuff floating around like a cloud, is that where it doesn't make much sense to have these things?
2: I I think it not only doesn't make much sense in terms of perhaps not being effective, it's also been demonstrated that if you have too many of these things dividing up the space in ways that weren't intended uh that can actually interfere with the airflow and with the removal of of aerosol contaminants from the air by the ventilation systems and uh, air filters and other things that you might have put there so it uh, it's a very uncertain benefit at best and unless we're talking about close uh, range transmission i think if you put them in a few places where you're going to have people face-to-face at short distance, that could be helpful. But uh, say in a restaurant, surrounding every table by partitions is likely to do more harm than good.
0: Does that apply also for outdoor restaurants? Uh,
2: well, it depends on the, the definition of outdoors. It depends on how many sides of a um, uh, an outdoor dining area are enclosed. Um, you tend to have higher ventilation rates there than you would get indoors. So it, it would be something that you would have to evaluate situationally. A lot of outdoor dining really is outdoors, but if you say have three sides enclosed, that's uh, still practically an indoor
1: environment. When it's doing more harm than good, is it kind of twofold? Number one, the air can't move through the room and push stuff out. So that means that number two, if someone is breathing out uh, you know, particles that aren't good for us, that's just kind of going to sit there in whatever pod they're in and then the next guy's going to come in, sit in that
2: well yeah you sort of hit on on two things there Yeah you know, one one is that it interferes with the airflows; it can remove contaminants and also it, it does tend to collect them and concentrate them and so you start to develop a larger and larger highly contaminated zone around someone who might be infected and you know the other thing is that that aerosols can can flow around these partitions pretty easily so Uh, If the airflow patterns are are not uh, favorable, you may have the false sense that uh, the contamination is being prevented from moving from one place to another, and it's actually just flowing right around it.
0: So if if businesses were really interested in the health of their employees uh, to protect them from COVID... Would their money better be spent on improving ventilation, Uh, which, of course, is a lot more money. And I suspect the reason why lots of companies opt not
2: to do that. Well, I think the important thing in in risk management is uh, is layering. And I I need to correct it. It's not American Society of Mechanical Engineers. It's ASHRAE, American Society of Heating, Refrigerating and Air Conditioning Engineers that uh, has developed all of this guidance. But uh, layers matter. So follow public health guidance, wear the mask, distance, practice reasonable uh, hygiene measures. Then uh, ventilation is the first thing that we look at along with better filtration for preventing exposure at a distance. We, we need to do some things to prevent short range exposure, some things to prevent aerosol exposure and they work together. And in fact, you know, if everyone is wearing a mask that blocks these these droplets too, so uh, that's a measure that doesn't involve putting partitions everywhere that helps accomplish the, the same objective, and it reduces the amount of the smaller particles that's going into the air. So we really need to think of this sort of Swiss cheese approach that's been promoted during the pandemic because it, it really is the best way to get uh, the optimal result at the, uh, the lowest cost.
1: William Bonfleth, Professor of Architectural Engineering, Penn State's University.
0: New Zealand has mostly escaped the worst of this pandemic. It helps to be an island country in the South Pacific, but it also has had strict lockdowns and quarantine
1: rules. Back into lockdown over one case recently, just one. Dr. Brian Cox, epidemiologist and professor of preventative and social medicine at the University of Otago in Wellington, New Zealand. So, doctor, how is locking down over just one case being received over there?
3: We're very keen to do just that. Uh Very early on in this pandemic, we were able to successfully eradicate the first uh, outbreak that we had and uh, through a lockdown process very early on, which lasted for about four weeks. And uh, we've been very, we've had uh, repeated small outbreaks since, usually, or some of them reasonably large, but uh, some outbreaks since, mainly through through uh, a leakage through their quarantine and isolation facilities out into the community, which happens from time to time, and we've worked very hard to try and reduce that as much as possible. So we've went 170 days since the last community case uh, until uh, just a few days ago, and the country's very keen to uh, try and go through a process of eradicating it yet again. So what exactly? Um, what's involved in the lockdown? How draconian oh, is it? Well, we have some advantages. and Most New Zealanders live in their own house on their own property. Um, the lockdown means that I can't go. For, people can't go to work unless they're a, a part of an essential service. The essential services are quite restricted. They are healthcare facilities, uh, drug stores, uh, supermarkets, um, gas stations. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, So very little happens while we're in lockdown. There's still a lot of people. I think it's still about 500,000 people who are actually still going to work through the lockdown process. Uh, But otherwise you can't really go out. Uh, You're not supposed to leave your house. You can walk in your neighborhood, providing you keep uh, a good distance from everybody else. And we essentially sit it out for a period. Even when you go to the supermarket, you have to stay in a queue. You have to stay at least two meters away from the person in front of you. And the, the, the supermarkets have arrows all the way through. You can only go through in one direction all the way through and keep your distance from everybody else and uh, work it through that way. So that's what we've uh, instituted and got used to. Uh, There are a lot of advantages we know in, being able to eradicate it again, it means that once it's eradicated, we can go back to having our usual sport and usual activities and uh, in very much uh, a very quite normal way.
1: What's the vaccination rate there? Because the criticism has been, it's low or it's been too slow. And that's why you have to do this because the vaccines aren't high enough.
3: No, we would do it anyway. Once you get a community outbreak, it's important to uh, block its uh, ability to jump from one group of people to another group of people because that's where it's weak. It's weak. Once it gets into a group that are quite close, it's able to spread within the group relatively easily, but it has a little bit of trouble jumping from one group of people to another group of people. So once you go into lockdown, everybody's essentially just in one group and the virus has trouble finding another group before it's peters out within the specific group so it works very well and very effectively but what what Um, is the vaccination rate though oh it's it's quite low um i can't recall exactly but it's probably only about the 20 percent mark maybe a little higher than that all right so here's so here
0: but here's my here's where i'm going with that question because there are a lot of people for example in the us who have who are saying well wait a minute we're vaccinated so we're supposed to be okay But now we're being told because of continued spread, we still need to wear masks. We still need to maintain social distancing, that sort of thing. So I'm wondering if when your vaccination rate goes up to, say, 50, 60, maybe even 70 percent, do you think people will be as willing to go along with these temporary lockdowns?
3: Um, I think they will, in the sense that we know the delta variant, for example, and some other variants that may come in the future are able to infect people even though they've been vaccinated. Sure, their illness isn't severe as severe but in general, but still that is a is a concern. so we've always taken an approach that there's no single solution, and so we are prepared to adopt multiple different strategies at the same time. And we find that that is much more effective than just saying, Oh, we'll rely on vaccination or we'll just rely on masks. or we'll just rely on social distancing have to do. It's a package. And in New Zealand, we're actually quite cohesive in the sense. I think we're generally all committed to it. Um, and we can go back to arguing with each other later. <laughs> we actually feel that the, the threat of the disease is far greater than any disputes we may have about X, Y, and Z. And does,
1: it, so, does that, that means though, that you guys are going to be pretty isolated for a while, right, if you're going to try and ride this out longer and have quarantine rules and all that for people coming in?
3: Sure. They, they, they have now got a, a guideline in terms of how we will open up slowly to the rest of the world. And that will start certainly in the new year. I think the government's considering trying to do it some of it before then so we will uh once our vaccination rate gets up to a certain level and we we feel that that will be achieved before the end of the year up to a level that's very high up as over 70 percent and they're actually aiming to get close as close to 100 percent as they can uh, at that point we will then start opening up uh travel between what we, we would then label as relatively low-risk countries, countries with relatively low rates of disease, and slowly step it up and and see how that works, whether we then become vulnerable to outbreaks or whatever. And then so through the early part of next year, we, we will be testing that out. Uh, and uh, we will hope to slowly, with over the first half of next year, uh, phase in a, a, a more easy relationship with other countries so that people don't have to go into right. quarantine. I,
0: I am curious about enforcement. Who enforces the lockdown and, and how well is it enforced?
3: We have um, quite a good Public Health Act in the sense that the, the Director General of Health through the Public Health Act can actually make quite uh, draconian, if you like, uh, edicts that the police then enforce by law, if necessary. Usually people uh, are prepared to give this a go and uh, and prevent this current outbreak from getting any bigger and certainly hope to eradicate it again.
1: Brian Cox, Dr. Brian Cox, epidemiologist, professor of preventative and social medicine, University of Otago in Wellington, New Zealand. Doctor, thanks for talking to us.
0: Washington is the first state in the country to mandate public school teachers and staff be vaccinated with no option for testing, that's further than what California and Hawaii are doing
1: what happens when the teachers uh, don't get vaccinated if there are some Chris Reichdahl Washington State superintendent of public Instruction. so Chris why now option to test and then opt out
4: yeah our states go on the route of obviously requiring the vaccine as a condition of employment we do offer a medical or religious exemption uh, we walked right up to this testing opportunity and I think what our public health officials really concluded is it's a it's a good option it just isn't it isn't the best. Um, a face covering reduces those droplets. Uh, vaccine is obviously the best. Uh, testing regime, even once a week, means that for five or six days, you know, you could be exposing folks uh, if you're COVID positive before you get your next test or maybe delays. They just didn't feel it was one of the better measures. It's an option for districts, but it's not a way out of the vaccine requirement in our state.
0: And what sort of feedback are you getting?
4: You know, folks really want to know uh, the details of our religious exemption, um, but not a whole lot of pushback on not having a testing option. I think part of the reason is in our state, two thirds of our school districts have already voluntarily adopted some kind of testing regime. Um, so that's an added layer for them. But uh, nobody was really clamoring for that, uh, at least not so far in our state.
1: Do you expect people to try to slip through on their religious exemption, maybe when they don't really think it's uh, pertinent to them? I've mean, seen some churches saying, I'll give you a letter and then you can see if that works, and, you know, take it up there and, and see if they buy it. I don't know.
4: Yeah, these things are always really tough, aren't they? Because it really does boil down to the, you know, attestation and and sort of conviction of the individual, and and I don't believe that anyone in government should second guess them. Um, but it is a religious exemption. It will require them to describe their belief system, um, unlike say the medical exemption, where they really do need a doctor consultation. So. Yeah, we're always down to human beings doing human things. I really believe it'll help get more people vaccinated. I think folks will use this with integrity, and undoubtedly there'll be some who don't, and and that's kind of life.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask what the vaccination rate is up there.
4: You know, we have an informal process because we can't ask individuals, of course, to fully disclose that, but uh, our district reviews uh, statewide average, we think we're well in excess of 70% for educators, maybe more than 75%. Our entire adult population age 12 and above is over 70 percent now, uh, about 50 percent, though, for our school age population only. So there's definitely some differences there. And of course, uh, like like you all, very big regional differences. Eastern part of our state, quite a bit lower than the western part of our state.
1: How long do the staffers have to either you know, get with the program or like, what it is, dismissal?
4: So August, uh, excuse me, October eighteenth is the drop uh, date here, uh, which really means you have to have your second dose if you're Moderna or Pfizer by October fourth, um, and then there's the two week waiting period that is advised by the providers. So really, it's October fourth you need your shots, or you need to seek one of those exemptions. Um, after that, uh, you're gonna you're gonna be terminated.
0: And I, I'm also wondering uh, why I. I Maybe there isn't an answer to it, but it seems like like this process is going a lot smoother where you are than I suspect it would go in a lot of other places like maybe
4: here. Well, it doesn't feel like that when you're in the middle of it, but I like the question. Huh. I think the grass is always a little greener. We certainly have some folks who are, you know, pretty frustrated by this. A lot of claims about individual liberty. Uh, we we clearly worked our way through uh, prior court uh, cases on this, it's really important you offer these exemptions to folks, you know, that they can meaningfully uh, apply for, and th- and that's what makes it uh, very straightforward. It's still hard, though, right? We have a history in our state of making sure students are vaccinated. This is very new for our educators and, and, and our bus drivers, custodians, all of them. So it's not going to be without its bumps, but uh, Delta is just a different beast, and we clearly have to take measures even higher than we did last year where our state effectively stayed masked uh, for the entire year.
1: Well, it comes down to the bona fides, like you said earlier, right? True belief is a a tenant of your faith or true medical conditions documented. That kind of stuff is the pass, and the rest is not.
4: That that is exactly what the framework is here. Uh, I really trust folks will do the right thing. And I do believe this will motivate a whole lot more people when they finally have to make that decision, Right. They're going down one side of this mountain or the other. I think they're going to pick vaccination in large numbers and and we'll never get 100 percent. That's okay, But we got to get better than 70, 75 percent. I think we'll do it.
1: Chris Reichdahl, Washington State Superintendent of Public Instruction.
0: Coming up after this short break, one school district is mandating vaccinations for kids. States are requiring teachers to be vaccinated, but what about kids? Well, one school district here in the L.A. area thinks that's a great
1: idea. Culver City Unified, mandating students 12-plus get vaccinated. Teachers and staff, too. So how is this going to go over with parents? So we talked to one, KNX traffic anchor Brian Douglas, parent of a high school senior in the district. So, Brian, uh, how does your son feel about it, and how did you feel about it?
5: Okay, well, I'll start with him. He could care less. Uh, he's, he's he's 17, <laughs> Uh, he's vaccinated right now. Uh, how I feel about it, you know, I was, uh, I found out last night about dinner time that this was actually going to be a mandate where kids actually needed to be vaccinated. And I'll be honest with you, in this COVID world, nothing really surprises me anymore. I wasn't surprised. Uh, it was more of an interest to me uh, about what the outcome of this is going to be, what the reaction is going to be from more so, not so much the kids. But the parents and I'll explain here, because uh, for the most part, my son's friends, they're all vaccinated. All the parents are vaccinated. There are some in Culver City uh, that are not vaccinated, that uh, have kids in the school. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I think this is the consensus uh, for most of us, at least friends that I know in Culver City. I think for the most part, we're fine with this mandate. But what's going to happen to the kids who, let's say, their parents don't want them to get vaccinated? What's going to happen to them if they say, look, mom, dad, I want to stay at this school. I don't want to go to independent study, as what they're thinking about doing. I want to stay with my friends. But the parents say, hey, no, you're not getting vaccinated. We don't believe in it. I think that's going to be really... Uh, the issue that we need to look at, that's going to hurt the kids more than anything else.
1: Yeah, especially if there's no testing option. But as we heard, you know, in the last segment from the guy from Washington saying, the reason we're not doing the testing here is because... uh Delta moves so fast that you can't catch it. It could be day three or four, and you got your test from Monday, but now it's Friday, and you're spreading it around the classroom, and you're all so close together as it is.
5: Yeah, and, it, you know, this whole testing thing, I mean, I understand why they do it. But like like you said, and my wife is, I mean, she runs three schools in South L.A., a high school, middle, elementary, hundreds and hundreds of students. They're going through the whole testing process. And, I, I, again, it's it's needed. I get it. But like you said, so you get tested today. The result is, hey. I don't have COVID, but you actually get it or you start to show symptoms, uh, you know, the day after. I mean, what happens? Then you spread it. Then you have to do the contact tracing, and it becomes real. It's, it's complicated, you know, this whole thing.
1: The superintendent's going to be joining us in a minute, but Brian, I want to get your uh, gauge on when you actually learned of As You said last night, because yeah. a lot of people, was there like a lead up and, and letters going around? Or, because a lot of people saw the tweet last night from the district saying, uh, we're going to do this. And students were on the list and everybody went, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and this is why we all say this is likely the first, because it kind of <laughs> just happened.
5: Yeah, we, yeah I, I didn't know. We didn't see any lead up, or at least I didn't. And of course, you know, working in a newsroom like this, we hear a lot of stuff before. Uh, the general public does. Uh, but no, I had I had no idea. And again, it, it didn't shock me. Uh, but again, it, it's more of an interest factor. It's it, how this is all going to play out, especially for the kids.
1: All right. Brian Douglas, our uh, traffic anchor, uh, has a high school senior, Culver City Unified. Brian, thanks. Quack uh, Tran, superintendent of the Culver City Unified School District. Uh, superintendent, thanks for being with us. So why you guys go in? And uh, what we've been saying is we believe it's further than anybody else. Right. First in the nation to, to do this for the students as well.
6: I uh, thank you very much for this opportunity to address this question. I don't know if we are first in the nation, nor are we first in the states. I just believe that we are obligated to to take all uh, available measures to ensure that the safety opening school is actually uh, to make it safe for everyone returning to our school today. Um, so the, the rationale is basically this: if I may, the, since the very beginning of the pandemic, three things have been proven to work. Uh, in terms of blunting or preventing the transmission of the virus. And they work even better when you kind of layer in one top of the other. Wearing masks is one. Uh, testing regularly the population so we can find out exactly the, the, the virus presence or not present in the community. And the third part is vaccination. Any kind of uh, best measures out there is basically depending on how you deploy these three measures, testing, masking, and, and uh and vaccination. And I, I truly believe that at this point, um, the, the, the doubt and the fear should be replaced with the science behind these three effective measures, including vaccination. And vaccination has been recommended by CDC that to protect those who are younger than 12 that are unable to receive the vaccine right now, those who are eligible, 12 and above, should be vaccinated to provide that extra protection for the younger generation or the younger children.
1: How do you gauge the, the parent reaction if you're going to ballpark it? Pro versus con, Who who's in the minority?
6: Um, as of Right now, the, the amount of emails that I receive as well as email returning to us from um, from our board of trustees who received the email is about 24, the measures, and and about one who would oppose to it. So it's, the ratio is about 20 to one. Um, so as as right now, and this is no way a a scientific right uh, survey. <laughs> it's Just an anecdotal. Inbox, you know, yeah. how are you dealing?
0: Yeah. How are you dealing with people who want exemptions because of uh, medical, or more importantly, I guess, the religious reasons?
6: Oh, absolutely, that's an important part of our of our moving forward. The first day is today, and the statements are basically that we are planning to begin rolling out all the options, all of the vaccination uh, opportunities, testing opportunities, as well as masking protocols. And we're hoping to be able to reach the full compliance by November 19. So between now and November 19, um, we will be able to sit down with our team uh, members and input from the community as well as our our Board of Trustees guidance to make sure that we create, um, lack of other words, options, other ways to provide instruction program that will meet the needs of our children without having to force that concern, just like you said, exemption based on, on uh, perhaps religious, we we'll call it the, the truly deeply held religious beliefs, as well as um, medical you know, pre-existing conditions and so on and so forth. But we would do that carefully, not to the point of, again, compromising the risk of the larger population that is currently attending school.
1: All right. Kwok Tran Superintendents, Culver City Unifieds. A church in the Sacramento area has decided to help people
0: who are vehemently opposed to the vaccines. The pastor of Destiny Christian Church says the church will offer religious exemption letters to people who don't want the vaccine. The pastor says the vaccine poses a morally compromising situation for many people of faith. The church last year defied statewide health orders by continuing to hold indoor services.
1: You can find this Odyssey original on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.